three, two, one. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Friday, where we talk to friends, clients, and strangers about how their life experiences have propelled them forward and not backwards. We spend so much time hearing about the positive things on social media. It highlights what's going right in our life, but rarely do we talk about failure, which is such a huge part in becoming successful in whatever we are trying to do, whether it's professional or personal. And today we have a very good friend of mine, Amari Watkins. You didn't change your last name, right? It's still Watkins? No, yeah, it's still Watkins. We're gonna go with Watkins. Amari Watkins, she's author of Wicked Dandelion, which I think because I know you, it gave me a heart attack reading this. Um, I think that if I didn't know Amari, it wouldn't have been as hard to read. But the whole time I was reading it, I was just like, oh my God, I hope her mom doesn't read this. Or, oh my God, I hope Dwan doesn't read this. Or, oh my God, I hope her dad doesn't read this. Because it's so personal. And if you know about her life, it's just like, oh shit, she went there. Uh, she's also an entrepreneur. I would say a budding entrepreneur. I hope we get to talk about some of the things you're working on uh, while we are on this call as well. So why don't you, I definitely didn't describe everything about Amari in that short intro. So Amari, I want you to take a couple minutes and kind of Describe to listeners who you are and how you portray yourself to the world. Um, I mean, it's pretty simple. I'm a woman first, and I'm a mama and a wife. Uh, Career-wise, I'm a writer and, like you said, a budding entrepreneur. Um, and so what that looks like for me is I invest in real estate and I work on I'm working on a project right now that I don't want to talk about because oh, I have a problem. No, hear me out. And I feel like your listeners will understand this if they're like me. I have a problem with saying something out loud before I follow through with it. And then I feel like I jinx myself and then I don't get it done. So I want to keep my mouth shut on what I'm currently working on. That's so funny. Until it comes out. But yes, I am an investor. Um, me and my husband both invest in real estate, and that's been kind of like the main uh, side hustle that we've been working on. I would definitely say that's your passion. Um, see, I'm the yeah. exact opposite. I speak about things before I do them because in my head, I have this massive fear of disappointment. So if I say I'm gonna do it, then I have to make it happen because I told people I was gonna do it. But I'll respect it, makes me sad, but whatever. Give me three adjectives that are important to you about yourself. That other people view you as. If you, if I was describing you to someone else, how would you want me to describe you? Um, I would want you to describe me as a chill and laid back person. Um, someone that is easy to talk to and someone that is helpful. I like that. Helpful. Yeah. That's a good one. I haven't, that's not one I get a lot. So what failure has changed you forever that you're willing to share with on average about 20,000 people? Okay. So let me start by saying this. I told my mom that I was doing this show and oh she was like, <laughs> she was like, why would you talk about your failure? Like you haven't failed at anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> and I told her, like, I fell out a bunch of things. There's she a plethora the of options. <laughs> right. <laughs> she hasn't read the book. So, um, 
I don't know. So I literally wrote a list of my failures. On this page <laughs> That's a because first. I Wait, show the decide. list again because that looked long as shit. It's two pages, actually. So <laughs> this is so awesome. On to the next. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So before you go, before you share that, I and this might be one of your failures, but I wanted, I've been wanting to talk to you about it for a long time and I keep forgetting. It's not like I, it's not for lack of opportunity because I see you all the time, but the poem on page 61 was by far my favorite. And I think, I still think about it frequently. And it talks about, I think, cause you don't use names or specifics, it's po poetry, mm -hmm. but you talk about how you, I believe it's you falling in love with Dwan and having to kind of give up on what you wanted to do to mm -hmm. support him in his dreams. And Child, I, even, now listen. Even if this that's not the one topic. you want to talk about, I want you to just touch on that. That. Okay. I mean, that that's a whole a whole conversation. I mean, we can talk endlessly about that one, but it's my favorite. I would say, I would say that is a huge component, but. Before I dive into that one, it, we've got to do it in order because there were things that other failures that led to that failure. Well, you right? girls, you start because, OK, I want you to share this with the precedence that, yes, you are sharing your truth. You're sharing a failure. But there's people that are watching this and I get messages after every show of people that are in the position that you were in when you failed. And they're like, thank you. This was so helpful. So come at this experience knowing that you're helping people that were in that position. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I would say that, I mean, I think we all know at this point, especially with, you know, all the mental health movements that have been happening, that all of our shit comes from childhood. Right. And Everything. so, yeah, all of it. And so if I look back to like my earliest memory of failure, it started in elementary school where I was in kindergarten and I wasn't catching on uh, to reading comprehension fast enough. And so they put me in like a slower delayed class during our reading period with like a couple other students so that we can get more hands-on um, attention. And so that was the first time that I felt like isolated from my peers and like I wasn't smart enough and I felt like, dang, like I'm, I'm failing. Like I don't, I can't do this, right? Um, and so that feeling of um, feeling inferior carried on throughout my entire school life, my schooling career. I struggled in pretty much everything. And that was like, I was not a bad kid, but if my mom would tell you, that was the main thing I got in trouble for was having bad grades. And so I kind of always had this underlining feeling of failure. It was just always there. Okay. In kindergarten, how old are you? Is it five or six? Like on, is five. It five or six. So yeah. in kindergarten, you were aware that you were being isolated for a negative thing. Oh, hands down. Yes. How is it described to you as a kindergartner? Like they don't just tell five-year-olds, hey, well, I you're, mean, you're slower than everyone else. We're going to put you over here with Billy. Like they're not saying that. No, I mean, it was just, 
I don't remember the exact conversation, but I'll, all I knew is that I was being taken out of class during this period of time and taken into like this teacher's lounge of some sort. You can tell it wasn't like a formal classroom because how small it was. And it was more of like an office. Um, and then there was only like two other students there. So I knew that, okay, this is not a typical thing because no one else is doing this. Um, and sitting there with like pieces of paper. And um, there was one time I remember the teacher having me write my B's and my D's over and over again because I would write them backwards. And I can tell she was getting frustrated with me. And one of the little boys that was sitting next to me, he kind of chuckled as I, I kept writing them backwards. Um, and so I knew that like I was the one with the problem. Damn, it's crazy. It's crazy how you remember such specific details about that. Like that's yeah. that's how traumatic that was for you. It doesn't seem traumatic when you're talking about it, but like yeah. That's insane. Okay, so that carried up through your entire educational experience. Yes, yes. What so, were other ways it reared its head later? Um, okay, the next example is in high school. So I moved around a lot in middle school. I went to three different middle schools. Damn. And because of that, like I, I had a really bad social anxiety and I still do to a certain extent. And it was impossible for me to make friends because I moved every year. So by the time I hit high school, um, like I was, I was a lame, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> and uh, they put me in this class that was supposed, they explained it this way. This class is for kids that need a little bit more help because they have shown in their record that, you know, they need extra assistance. And so I'm like, whatever. So I take the class and the class is not an academic class. It's not writing, math, none of that. The class is kind of like a life skills class. And so this teacher, he kind of, and this was a pivotal moment for me. He taught us about life. He said, okay, I don't care what you want to do, what you want to be, but this is what life is. You've got to make a certain amount of money in order to live the lifestyle that you want. And so literally he had us write in a journal every day and he would have us kind of paint this picture with words about the kind of life that we wanted. And we would have different, you know, things to do. That's dope. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, and so by the end of the class, we went on a field trip to this mansion. And um, he had us write down how much we thought it cost and, you know, what type of job we would have to have in order to afford something like that. And I would say that's one of the first times that it kind of like settled into my brain. Like, oh, so there, there's more to life besides this, you know, schooling, mundane, everyday, you know, here from, from eight to two or whatever. It's deeper than that. So um, yeah, that teacher was the one that kind of changed my perspective. Not saying that I did better in school, but <laughs> he helped me to, um, to see things more clear, I'll say that. What type of class was that? A lifestyle class? Yeah, it was like a, I don't know what they called it back then, but it was some type of a life skills class for kids that struggled academically. Okay, so it was specific to kids that were struggling academically and it was in high school? Yes, yes my freshman year. 
Oh, freshman year. I feel like yeah. that would have been even more beneficial, like senior, junior year. Probably junior yeah. year because you still have time to like save your grades junior year. That's really yeah. cool. We did not have that at my high school and I went to a great high school. So I don't, that's, that would be useful today. Um, that's really cool. How did your educational failure feed into, did you ever overcome that? Or was it just like yeah. that school was not your thing? Yeah, so I kind of had like a chip on my shoulder by the end of high school. And I was tired of feeling like, feeling that feeling of like, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm not smart. And the thing is, like, I always knew in the back of my head, like, hey, Amari, like, you're not stupid. You just don't give a fuck. That's two <laughs> different things. <laughs> it's two different things. You know, like, if you it just is. don't care, you just don't care. And that was my demeanor. I mean, you know me personally, but the viewers don't. Like, I kind of always had a very nonchalant type of a personality. And it's really a coping mechanism. Yes. Um, and it's it's beneficial in some ways but in some aspects it's really hurt me but yeah i just did not give a fuck that's what it boils down to um however i still feel like you're like that though so i am i am and i try <laughs> i try okay i try <laughs> so yes i could not get into the universities that you know everyone else was getting into because my grades just weren't there and so I got, I went to like a local school, Akron University, and um, I kind of, I don't know, I've always had this thing where it's like, I don't want anyone else to tell me that I'm not shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, I don't, I don't like to feel that way. And so I took it as a personal challenge. And when I went to university, I said, okay, I'm going to excel here at Akron and then I'll transfer to OSU. And I'll show everybody that, hey, I'm not stupid. I can go to the big universities and whatever. And so that's what I did. I um, was on the Dean's list and I had like all A's and one B the first two year of college. Um, I did great um, and I, I really loved it. I went to OSU and that was a different story. <laughs> <laughs> was it harder? No, it wasn't harder. Um, so OSU is back in my hometown in Columbus, Ohio. And there I was more distracted. I was also working two jobs. Um, I was not living on campus anymore. And I was closer to my then boyfriend, now husband. And so it was a combination of things that led to me dropping out of OSU. It was not harder, but I, I didn't have the same dedication and drive by the time I got there. Do you regret that or no? <clears throat> regret? I wouldn't say I regret it because it was more, the fact that I got accepted was all I really wanted to do. I just wanted to prove that I'm not That's stupid real. and that I could be there. I could that's be there real. with the rest of you guys. And so I made it and I was okay with that. It, that's, see, I respect that answer because looking back at college, I think it was more for me personally, a social experiment than it was educational. Granted, I double majored in things that I already knew a lot about. So I didn't really go to class much, but mm -hmm. I, looking back, I think 
the most pivotal part of my college experience was just getting accepted into college and feeling that relief of like, okay, I did it. My parents are proud. I'm in. I show up. We're good. But after my first job after college, they did not ask for my transcripts. They did not read my mm -hmm. resume. I could have lied my ass off on. I'm not saying lie because you might get caught. But I remember my final interview. He was like, "Well, what was your GPA at FSU?" And I was like, "3.9." He was like, "Okay." I was like, "Do you do you need do you need to see like a transcript?" He was, "No." I, 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 are you lying? And I was like, "No." He was like, "Well, then you got a 3.9." <laughs> And I was like, okay. <laughs> there just went three and a half years of my life. But that's well, a real answer. I respect that. So when you got accepted, that was kind of the end of that feeling yeah. of inadequacy. Yeah, it kind of fizzled out quickly. It's like when I stepped on campus, I'm like, oh, this is nice. But then once I got into the routine of it, it fizzled out. And I'm like, I still don't give a F. I tried, but no, this is not um, for me. At that time, did you have a understanding of what you wanted to do? No, um, I was a psychology so major. Terrifying. Yeah, I know. I mean, I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> I was a psychology major and I knew that I was going to be dropping out soon. So I was like, OK, what am I going to do? So I start looking into life coaching and on, in, on Google, it said, you don't have to have a degree to be a life coach. So I said, fuck it, that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough to psychology. Yeah. <laughs> it is, and it's, I mean, it's like owning any business, the sky's the limit. It's not like you have a lot less regulation too than a psychologist. Right. And so I found an online uh, coaching program. I signed up for that and I went through that program and I kind of started my business and then it came to a screeching halt our first year in the league. Why? So, oh, KK, you're getting so, I'm sorry. I should I call you Kendall on your platform? No, you, you can call me KK. You're the only one who calls me KK. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's cool. Go ahead. What, okay. yeah, you were not a life coach when I met you. No, uh, absolutely not. Okay, so around that time, I was like a super pothead and I felt like I was not in a place to coach anyone about anything. I believe that I had and I still do have the skill set, skill set and the ability to coach people yes. through life problems. I strongly believe that. Um, however, at that time, I was too wrapped up into myself, trying to figure out who I was and who I really wanted to be. And so it felt draining to coach people. I think that's a really great answer. Also, if you were a life coach, it would be Amari Watkins, life coach. And then your motto would be, fuck them. <laughs> or fuck that's it. True. Fuck yeah. it. Just say fuck it. <laughs> Okay, so how does the educational inadequacy conquering that feed into your next failure? So I don't know quite how to answer that um, because 
The next failure I would say is for sure becoming too wrapped up into my spouse. Becoming um, too wrapped up into my spouse. Yeah. So for those of you that, that have not read my book, um, I was raised in a single parent household. So me and my father did not have a relationship growing up. And because of that, I felt like it put me in a space where I was really naive and pretty much the first boy that came my way, I literally thought that like that was love. I thought it was real love. And so this is a different conversation for another day, but my very first boyfriend was very toxic, very um, emotionally abusive. And so um, that relationship ended and I vowed to myself that I would never um, allow myself to be with someone like that again. And then about a, a few months later, uh, my current husband, Duan, we her only husband, her only husband. She said current, but it's like that's the only one it's ever going to be. Just you're right. You're right. I mean, <laughs> my current husband. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you never know when I'm like 80 or something. <laughs> Shut up, Amari. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Um, yes, my only husband. <laughs> so we met and um, he was completely different than anything I had experienced. And so I knew like literally our first date, I told him, I'm like, you're going to be my husband. And, and we were children. You did that. You did I was, that. I was one of those. I said, how, you're going to be How my specifically for those who are in a relationship now, we've, uh, everyone should have a toxic relationship before they're with their their forever person because a toxic yeah. relationship as painful as it is teaches you so much about what you don't want and oh, hopefully yeah. you get out of that you get to experience your forever person but I am thankful for my toxic relationship I'm sure you are too but I am mm -hmm. curious because I also know her husband very well what was so different about Dwan that made you on the first date be like you're different because he was not afraid to be himself. He was assertive. He was nerdy. He was, um, he was kind of a dork, but in like a Rico Suave way. I don't even know how to describe it. I need an it. example. Like, okay, so he was in the talent show and he did like an old school uh, dance with his friends was it it wasn't boys to men it was oh I can't think of it but anyways I just thought it was so like corny that he was in the talent show and he was <laughs> up there like dancing and like lip singing and like doing these old school dances but he was so like unapologetic about it was that videotaped by chance what was that videotaped like do you have that somewhere yeah actually we do I'll have to show you Ooh, can yeah. you please send me the footage to put on here? Please. Yeah. Please. Uh, it's, yeah. And oh like, he, he just took it so serious. And remind you, I was a really nonchalant person. So how he was just able to express himself, I just thought that was amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I just like that he was able to just be himself. And I, I've never seen it, like, met anyone so young that was like that. 
Did he ask you out or did you ask him out? Because clearly the talent show happened before you went on your first date. So you eyed him and were like, all right, now I'm going to be visible. No, so this was, no, so this was before we became like boyfriend and girlfriend. He invited me to the talent show at his school. Oh, he went to a different school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How did you meet him? In seventh grade. At the same school? Yeah, because remember I told you we, I went to a bunch of different schools. So in the same in area, grade, though. No, so in seventh grade, we went to the same school. That's where we first met. And then I went to a different district, right? He stayed in Groveport, and I went to Gahanna. So then that's when we, like, kind of parted ways. And then we reconnected again on Facebook at, like, 16. Okay. So talent show happened 16. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, that's, I didn't know you guys met so young and then reconnected. Yeah. That's even cooler. I can't imagine Dwan as a seventh grader, though. I imagine it's just a mirror. He used he to have braids. Like no, he didn't. Yeah, he had cornrows. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I can't wait to find pictures of this. Okay. I don't even know where I was going with this. Okay. Bring me back into the failure of how it gets wrapped up in your spouse, because I personally identify to the soul, the core of my soul with page 61. So, okay, can you, I don't even know what's on page 61. What is the title? Like, what's the title? There's a first for everything on this podcast. We are going to read it. It is not long, from what I remember. Soul crying. I feel my soul crying. I told you I wasn't scared, but I was lying. I turned my dreams into reality. You are what I decided, so that's what it had to be. Not realizing I was trapping me, mentally. Turning me into we. First coupled, then hustled. Built a foundation that couldn't be shaken. Our union became my muscle. You became my solitude. That determined my attitude. Too heavily dependent on how you move. Rushing my brain, rushing to fame. Slowly immersing myself in pain. Praying for a brighter day a lighter way, bearing the weight of self-destruction. I feel my soul crying, making decisions from a broken place, unknowing setting my fate. A daddyless girl whose addiction became you. I became your fan, you my man. My new God who I worshiped, then I was left unnurtured. I told you I wasn't scared, I was lying. Scared of losing me, scared of becoming we, scared of this very reality. I feel my soul crying. Okay, like, why is this giving me chills? Like, I didn't write that. <laughs> you definitely did. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Um, so about that. Um, I mean, I said it. It's, it's the fact that I was so thirsty for the affirmation, the love, and the attention of a man that once I received it, it almost felt like I became addicted to it. And no matter how good of a man he is, I was still broken. Um, and there was nothing that he could have done, did, or, you know, nothing he can do currently to, to fix that. That's something that I have to heal within myself. So 
yeah, like I said, at that time I was a pothead and I mean, when you're high all the time from morning to night, you don't really have any time to, to think about anything, about what's happening. You're just going with life. Like you're like a, a leaf in the wind. You're just going. Um, and so I would wonder when I would have my times to myself, I'm like, why do I feel like I'm, I'm getting sadder? Like what's happening? Because I'm living this amazing life. Like my, my husband takes care of me financially. He's a great man. He's in the NFL. Like I literally want for nothing and I'm so well taken care of. Why the hell am I sad? Um, and I really struggled with that because I mean, I felt like I was living a life that any girl would wish for. And I, I felt like I was being ungrateful at times. Mm-hmm. And um, oh God, you are hitting it. I might cry this one. I, yeah, I just, and so I remember praying. I prayed so much and I would say, God, give me clarity. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with this life that you've given me? Because I didn't like ask for this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just followed my husband and um, the first thing God told me to do is that I needed to be sober. And so it took me a minute, but I stopped smoking every day and um, I got myself clear and, and then God said, okay, like you need to, you need to start doing things that, um, that fill you up, start tapping back into who it is that I called you to be. And so I started to revisit things from my past that I had let go, like writing and uh, personal development and some of my creative things that I had let go, like drawing and painting. I started to do those things again, just anything to try to grasp myself, to try to f- like find myself again. And um, after I had a mirror, he probably, he probably was like one and a half. No, he was like two. And then I started to write the book and I I couldn't stop writing it. And it was one of those things that I just had to push out. I literally felt like I was dying and that if I didn't give birth to this book, that like, that would be the end of me. Yeah, I was, I, every little thing you said, I, oh, I feel it so hardcore because I, verbatim experienced that. Like I, I knew that I had to have, I always knew that I was going to have to work when mm-hmm. having kids. Like I never, I never wanted children. So it was actually a very upsetting thing. And this is going to trigger some people because I know that I know that there's people all over that are trying to get pregnant and they struggle with it or who have lost a child and they're going to hear this and be like, Oh, we're so ungrateful. But it's my truth. I did not want children because I wanted, I knew that I assessed so much of my value as a person with what I accomplished. I felt like kids were gonna hold me back. So mm-hmm. when I met my husband and I married my husband, I already knew that, all right, you chose to marry this person. You're choosing to be with this person, knowing that automatically everything you accomplish from this point forward will be diluted with the fact that you're married to someone that's successful. It will mm-hmm. automatically mean less because you had a head start because your husband makes this much money. It's not that impressive. So right. I was going against that. Then you get pregnant and you have a kid. So now you're selfish. Mm-hmm. Now you're selfish for having something of your own. 
and you're a bad mom. Not to everyone, obviously, but yeah. to a lot of people, especially people that didn't choose that route, you're, you're going in the wrong direction. So I struggled with that for a long time. And just re and recently, um, like yesterday, I sent out a few text messages because I was doing a Bible study about relationships and friendships because that's another thing I really struggle with. And I said, it, in my Bible study, it was ask for feedback from people that will give you honest feedback about how you could be better. And my best friend Megan sent back, I wish that you would get back in touch with your creative side. And I think it would really help you stop mm -hmm. giving a fuck about what everyone thinks about you. So how, you, you touched on it, but how important was that getting back into your creative side, writing this book, painting, drawing, to finding yourself, obviously getting sober, but was this more pivotal in getting sober? Sober? Oh, hands down, hands down. Um, How did you find the time? I I literally that that that's all I did was write. And the thing is, like writing was a lifeline for me when I was a child, when I was an adolescent, around like I don't know, 15, 14, 15 is when I started writing. Um, Same. and so it was, it was a lifeline for me. And that's like, every time I would feel any emotion, I would go to the pen. And so I stopped doing it for years because I just got caught up in life. And then when I was going through that internal turmoil, that's all I kept hearing God tell me to do was to write. And so, um, I felt like I really didn't have a choice. It wasn't like, um, a conscious thing where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to write a book. No, it was like, I'm literally dying inside and I've got to get this shit out. I have to. And I said, well, maybe if I write this, maybe it'll help someone else out. Maybe it'll help another young girl that's getting ready to make the same decisions that I made. How does God speak to you? He will put a phrase or a word into my mind and I will hear it multiple times until I listen. That's dope. I'm just starting to, I, I feel like I, here's a hard word, right? Cause I don't actually hear anything. Things just, things happen to me like this, like hearing those two days in a row, like start doing mm -hmm. something creative. Like, I feel like this is God speaking to me, but I know some people that I've asked that and they're like, I literally hear like a voice that sounds like Samuel L. Jackson coming to my head and say, like, you need to do this, but you see words. Yeah, it's in words. Like, I don't, I don't hear another person's voice. It's, it's just kind of like, you know, that subconscious internal conversation, I guess. Um, but I agree with you though, because I feel like sometimes God does speak to us through other people. And I'll be like listening to videos, podcasts, whatever, and I'll hear a message back to back days and I'll say, okay, I think God's telling me something. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. How did you find the time to bring that? Because that's maybe I'm doing it wrong, but when I used to write, you know, high school, college, and paint, it was an hour, hours. It would take me hours to write a poem mm -hmm. about my emotions. Mm -hmm. How do you find the time to do that with children and everything else you have going on? Real estate, book, and what we will not speak of. 
at night when the kids are asleep really is the only time that I have. Um, and I've got to be careful because I'm, I'm the person that once I get started into like, once I get into my creative zone, I'll get sucked into it. And then I'll kind of start to be neglectful to things and people around me. So it's a balancing act. But um, right it's now, I'm, yeah, it's, it's a lot. But right now I am working on my second book. And so I'm doing a lot of internal digging and uh, writing poetry is painful. <laughs> I'll say that. Are you having write painful because you're blocked or? Well, the kind of poetry that I like to write, um, my goal is to take my life experience and put it on paper so that another person can connect to it. And so it's painful having to dissect myself in that way. It's really like emotionally taxing and I'm in a different space than I was when I wrote the first book. So it's a different type of um, growing pains that I feel like I'm experiencing. Are you taking from the same experiences that you took from in the first book or are you taking experience from a different part of your life, like motherhood, for example? Or yeah, yeah, I think this is this is completely a, a different part. Um, I think there's, there's stages to life and this is definitely a different stage. Um, When you are having to pull on these different phases of your life, so one thing that helps me when I haven't I haven't dug into my creative zone, but what I would do is I would put myself through something new that would create inspiration. So like I would make myself go skydiving or I would make my, push myself out of my comfort zone. And then that would be what I'd write my first thing about or what I draw my first piece about in hopes that it would lead to other pieces. Are you the same way or? Do you literally just have to dig through past um, No, I think I'm similar to you, but I don't, I won't like go out and seek for an experience. I just like to kind of bask in life and take mental notes along the way. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause I just, I get inspiration from like everyday shit. And so I'll just, I become more observant to what's happening so that when it's time for me to put the pen to the paper like I'm pulling off of like what just happened yesterday or you see what I'm saying mm -hmm. it's like real current time do you smoke before you do creative stuff not anymore yeah I don't not I, anymore I I never used to do that because I I still smoke pot I have a card so you mm -hmm. can't arrest me who <laughs> wants to be that person um but I can't do it when I'm trying, even if I'm, I can't do it before work. I can't do it mm -hmm. before um, I have to do something important because pot helps me become numb. Like mm -hmm. I can't feel shit when I smoke pot. And sometimes yeah. that's helpful, but rarely for me when I have to get something done. But some people love, they have to before they do something creative. So I'm always curious no. if Yeah, I'm thankful that that's not like I don't have to depend on that because that would that would suck that'd be a lot yeah so when we're talking about your relationship with your husband 
what, how does he support you in this? Or is this something that you feel like you have to deal with alone? I feel like I don't get a lot of support from my husband on this issue because he doesn't think it's like, he just can't see the depth of it because I, I'm an incredibly emotional person. You know that you're constantly like, Kendall, mm -hmm. you're being too deep. <laughs> like calm down. It's like, it's not that deep, but how do you get support and who do you get support from? Um, I would say that my husband supports me the best way that he knows how. That's a good but way. But he's it. he's not a man, or he's not a woman, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't want him to be a woman, and I don't expect for him to um, stand in all of those spaces with me and ride the wave of emotions with me. Um, the only That's thing that I I expect for him is to give me the space and the grace to ebb and flow <laughs> that's all i expect yes and so he does a good job of doing that i'll say that um but i feel like a lone woman a lone wolf i feel like i i'm in this you know internal battle or I'll, i guess i can say a journey life journey on my own even though i do have a partner at the end of the day, I'm still my own person. And when it's time for me to have my last day here on earth, it's just gonna be me. And so um, I love that I have a life partner. I love you know, that I have a family structure to support me. But at the end of the day, I still know that it's just me, you know? Do you take solace in that? Like you want to be able to process through this alone or do you wish you had like girlfriends to do that with? So I've always looked at it as like, I need girlfriends, I need a tribe to be able to pull from during these emotional times. And that's why I said I'm bad at relationships because I don't feel like I've built this tribe to dip into. I think I have one-offs. I feel like you're one of them. I have a couple more, but I don't feel like I have that, that tribe. But maybe I don't need that. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong place for that strength. Do you feel like you need a tribe or you just want to do this solo dolo? No, I think everyone needs to have a tribe. Like, I'm trash at friendships. And I think when I first met you, I You're said, pretty bad. I'm a terrible friend. You're pretty bad. I, I, I told you, I think I told you that. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I'm a terrible friend. And not because I want to be a terrible friend. I hope one day you, 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 you get better. I do. I'm holding I just on. I don't for know that how. Day. I don't. I literally. You're gonna have to teach me. Every like, once in a while, you'll send me a, a text where you're checking on me, and I'll be like, "Wow, this is a good day. <laughs> like I'm in. <laughs> I'm like I'm in. Either that, or I'm a total fucking wreck." And she's seriously concerned. I, I'm an in-person type of person. If you want, you know, <laughs> want to invite me over for drinks or something, I'll like I'm in person. But texting and phone call, like I can't. You can't do that. But yes, everyone needs a tribe. And I need a tribe too. Like I desperately need a tribe. I just don't know if it's too late for me. <laughs> it's not too late. I just think that your fuck it attitude like is kind of contradictory to like the tribe thing. I, oh, yeah. I'm trying to, I feel like you're part of my tribe. So, I mean, you got one Thanks. person in your tribe. Your husband doesn't yeah. count, but no. I, the more that I've, cause I'm going through something right now and the more I've processed it, I've decided that I need to learn how to do some of this shit 
as far as processing my emotions by myself. And I say this, I feel like every fucking episode, but I need to start relying on therapy and being okay with that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a therapist? I mean, it's similar to a life coach, honestly, except they can prescribe you meds, but. So no, I've never had a therapist. I have had a life coach. How'd that um, to be honest, I don't know if I chose the right person as my life coach. Probably not if you're saying that. Or, or maybe what I needed more was therapy instead of life coaching. Now that I think about it, I don't think I was quite ready for coaching because coaching, you have to be ready to be proactive and to move forward. And with therapy, like you're kind of still processing and working through it. And so I was definitely in the processing phase. I was not ready to um, take the steps to actually like knock stuff off my list. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't, I wasn't quite ready for it. So you think in the order of operations, it should be therapy, then coaching? Oh, hands down. Okay, that's good to know. That's really helpful. I mean, maybe you can do both, you know, at the same time. I don't know. but It seems like a lot of time. Yeah, of time. it would be. Uh, I wonder if there are therapists that are also life coaches. Like that would kill two birds with one stone. I'm Something sure there look are. Into. If there are, and you're watching this, hit us up. It's a great time to speak out about what you do. Okay, so I would say that what we've gone over that's important here is that a creative outlet, and I and I want to touch on you don't have to be good at like art and writing to be have a creative outlet, right? I mean, yeah, you can be total trash. I mean, look at abstract shit. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of people would look at that and be like, that's art. I bet a lot of you people could do it. What are some other creative outlets people could do? You have writing, you have art, dance. Um, yeah, dance, you can sing, you can make a collage. I mean, there's no talent Ooh, in that. I love a good collage. Yeah. Vision board. Oh yeah, vision boards. It's another um, thing that sucks a lot of time though. Yeah, it's tedious. I think those are good. What I would avoid doing if you're in search of a creative outlet is smoking pot or doing drugs in general, because that does, I'm I'm actually pro drug, to be honest. I'm all about smoking pot. Just not when you're trying to process your emotions or trying to be Mm -hmm. creative. I think it really holds you back. I think that we do not give our brain enough credit for how incredible it is and mm-hmm. drugs don't enhance your brain. Even Adderall and Vivans, like they don't enhance your brain. Right. They make you, th- they make you focus, and they make you execute. But they're not making your work any better than it would have been without it. Mm-hmm. I think that's important because so many people, so many of my clients, including me, I, I take Vivans, but they're on the Vivans and Adderall, and they they get this mentality that they have to have it to get mm-hmm. stuff done and that's that's dangerous. And but, that's the thing, it's temporary. It's a temporary fix, temporary. you know. And there's a come down, whether you want yeah. to admit it or not. I know, because I, I don't take my Vivans on weekends or days that like 
my, my nanny's out of town right now, so I have my kids for the next couple days. I'm not taking my Vyvanse to watch my kids. Mm-hmm. Granted, I'm going to eat a lot more and be tired all day, but that's the price you pay when you yeah. take those bad boys every single day. Is there another failure? We touched on my favorite one, so that makes me happy. Is there another failure that you think is important for people to hear about that, that was a great learning opportunity for you? Um, let me look at my list, shall we? <laughs> First, I just think that's so amazing that you had a two-page list. And I feel like the only reason you made that because your mom was like, you never failed. You're like, yeah, I'm like, I'll, I'll show you. <laughs> um, I mean, I kind of want to touch on the college thing one more time because I feel Do like it. that is big for people. So I dropped out of college more than once. Let me tell you that. So I dropped out of OSU, then I re-enrolled in an online university, then I dropped that, and then I re-enrolled, and then dropped it again. And then this last time, when I was pregnant with my second child, I re-enrolled and I said, okay, I'm gonna finish this shit, because I only have a few classes left. And then I gave birth and I dropped out. So. I didn't know this. Talk about failure. So I want to bring this up because sometimes when shit is not for you, it's not for you, boo. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's important to know. (laughs) So the biggest failure for me out of all of this is not taking the time to get to know myself. Because if I just sat for a minute and said, okay, Amari, what are you gonna do with your psychology degree once you get it? And do you really wanna do that thing that you're thinking that you wanna do? And if I would've just sat for a second and really like let it marinate, my answer would've been, no, I don't really wanna do that. And so if the listeners can take anything from me, It'll say, it'll just be no, take the time to learn yourself so you can prevent a lot of failures. <laughs> That's it. So I had this epiphany two days, two days ago, where I was trying to process like, how do I deal with, with the situation that I'm going through? And I just like, I had a moment where I was, where I had to sit down and really, really ask myself, why is this important to you? And work through that and, and be transparent and write it down. Why do you want to fix this? And I had this, I don't even think it was me. It was someone in my head, maybe God, maybe the devil, who knows, who said this. If this happened to your child, what advice would you give them? And I was like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. If this happened to my child, I would say, move the fuck on. Like you deserve better. Mm -hmm. You deserve better than this. Mm -hmm. And it was just like this breakthrough moment. So I think that you probably kept trying to graduate one because you were like, I'm almost there, right? right? Mm -hmm. And also because you didn't want to be defeated. Yeah. But then you came to this moment where you realized that it's not defeat. It's actually almost like a win that I'm realizing that I don't need this shit. Yeah. Because what you Mm -hmm. want to do, as far as I know, has absolutely nothing to do with psychology. No, not at all. Why, why didn't you figure that out the second time? Like, were you just not as self-aware? So 
I feel like I always knew that, but when when you want to make your mother proud and when you feel like society has something to say and you're concerned about what other people think, it'll make you do things that aren't in alignment with your truth. A fucking men. So, so if Amir had enrolled in college three times, what would you tell him? I would tell him, boy, why are you playing? Move on. Move on. Go do something else. Come on. You have better ways to spend your time. Clearly, you're not serious about it. Because if you was, you would have did it already. <laughs> That's what I would tell him. That's what I tell myself right. at this point. That's what you're telling yourself at this point. Yes. I think that's wonderful. I did not realize you enrolled again. Yeah, when I was you pregnant did not with Alani. Share that. Yeah, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna knock this out. And I and I told myself too, I was like, I'm gonna do this for her. So she can say my mom no, has a degree. You did that. You did I that. did that. I did that. And then I was like, well, And Lonnie I'm don't give a shit. Right. <laughs> I was like, she She's oh, one well. of the most selfish ba- like if she could smoke a cigarette and look at you in the eye and say, fuck you, she would. Oh, she, she has, she has an attitude. She does. attitude. She comes here, she just stares at me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, bitch, who are you? Yeah, Let me get out this car seat. I'm gonna fuck you up. That's what she looks <laughs> that's like. That's my homie. That's my sidekick. <laughs> she, she's gonna be a problem. Yeah. Well, I'm just so appreciative that you joined me tonight and you did your hair for me because, guys, I haven't seen Amari's hair in months. Like, I forgot I she mean, had hair. I mean, it's usually like up here with like a bandana or something here. Who has the time? I don't know. That's why I'm just so thankful that you found the time for the the camera. (laughs) I would love to have you back on in another six to a a year, probably, when you really have this next thing that we cannot speak of up and rolling, because I think that that would be hugely beneficial for branding and just getting the awareness out there. Um, Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I love you and I appreciate you. And I will probably talk to you tomorrow. Thank you, KK. This is an amazing thing you're doing uh, for everyone listening. Love you so much. And that is another episode of Failure Friday. If you are interested in coming on, just send me a DM. We'll put you through an interview process. We definitely want to bring people on that can be vulnerable, are not scared about sharing their deepest, darkest failures and how it's helped them and pushed them forward so that we can give back to our community and make a difference and also bring awareness to our business owners here in Jacksonville, Florida or nearby counties and states. Thank you, have a good night.